chapter 3, and some of you are going to be relieved uh, that we're not talking about relationships between husband and wives this morning. Um, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 is our text. And last Sunday, we started a new series on our mission and our core values as a church. And we've said that our mission is our destination. It's where, by God's grace, we hope to go as a congregation. And our core values are what drive us there. So we're calling the series Drive. And our mission together as Bat Creek, we saw last week, is the Great Commission. We're not here for our own comfort. We are not here to build a a club. We're not here to gather a crowd. We're not here to build a coalition. We are here to connect people with the hope of the Gospel. We aim to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Our destination is discipleship. We want to follow Jesus and to grow to maturity in Jesus and to bring others along with us to introduce them to Jesus, to see them following Jesus and growing to maturity in Jesus with us until our community and our nation and our world is different because of the real hope of the gospel. And our core values drive us toward that destination of discipleship, toward that mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. They form a kind of of roadmap for us to follow on the way so that as we progress in these biblical values, we will also progress in discipleship as we grow in the Lord and as we pour into others and see them come to know the Lord and grow in Him as well. Our core values are real hope. Deep connection, full engagement, and wide reach. And this morning, our our focus is going to be on our first core value of real hope. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 9. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of God's word. Hear now the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living, what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Let's ask the Lord's help this morning. Oh Lord our God, You inspired this Word and You preserved it for Your people. You promise to speak it into our hearts, into our lives, by Your Spirit. And when we read it, 
when we hear it preached. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would transform us by your word. The word of Christ, which is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And Lord, that you would use it to create in our hearts fresh, real hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Peter, he wrote this letter to help and to encourage Gentile and some Jewish Christians who were scattered, dispersed throughout modern day Turkey, which in the first century was under the power of the Roman Empire. Because these believers were facing suffering and persecution and distress while living in a culture that was hostile to them and to their hope in Christ. And he wrote to brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters who must have been tempted at least at times to hopelessness. And we can relate to that because doesn't the world often seem like a hopeless place? When we look at the darkness in the world, when we look at the division that exists between people, when we see the suffering and the death and the hate and the evil, can it feel overwhelming? And that's just out there. When we look at our own lives, we also see that we are touched by darkness and difficulty that our relationships and our reality are also touched by the hopelessness of the world as well. All of us face death. None of us is promised tomorrow, so we all have to face death of those we love and eventually our own. We wrestle with our own sin and the harm, the hurt that we cause and inflict on other people, as well as the sins that they commit against us and the hurt that they bring into our lives. We watch others hurt when we are powerless to help them. And we we feel when injustice steamrolls the vulnerable. And the welcome at the front and top of our bulletin every week It speaks to and gets at this seeming hopelessness of the world in which we live. To all who struggle and desire victory. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, those are common human experiences in the midst of a world that is dark and hopeless. And Christianity alone, faith in Jesus alone, offers a rational explanation for our experience of the hopelessness of the world and why we long for all these things when reality so often refuses them. Christianity says it's because we were created for a world in which there was no weariness. There was no mourning. No struggling, no sin, no loneliness, no injustice, no suffering, no darkness, and no death. But sin, rebellion against our Creator God, 
came into the world and darkness and death came with it. And this world seems to lie under the power of death and hopelessness seems to reign everywhere. But we as human beings, and I mean this is a universal experience, as human beings, because we were created for a better world, we cannot give up the dream of hope. We refuse to surrender to the hopelessness all around us. And instead, we try to manufacture hope on our own. And we look to various things in the world to help us manufacture hope. We look to to power and politics and philosophy and religion and art and entertainment and family and friendships and money and comfort and fame and on and on. I would ask you, what is it that you look to the most to manufacture hope in your life when you are faced with a world full of hopelessness? Now, many of those things are good. And they whisper rumors of real hope to us. But ultimately, all of those things inevitably disappoint us because they cannot carry the burden of our longings. They can't rescue us from the power of sin and death. But here at Back Creek... And in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that there is real hope in a world of real darkness. And that that hope is found exclusively in the gospel. The good news about Jesus Christ. And it's simply this. That the eternal Son of God was not content as He made covenant with Father and Spirit to allow us to persist in the hopelessness and death which we earned for this world and for our futures. But He came into this world as one of us, fully God and fully man. And the Gospel of John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that everything that was created was created by Him and through Him and for Him. And then it says this, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men into a world of death. God the Son brings real life. And He does so by living as our substitute, by bringing a real human life lived in absolutely perfect relationship with God, absolute fidelity and allegiance and obedience to God for those who were traitors and rebels. And He did it by entering into the consequences of our sin by going to the cross and experiencing both physical and spiritual death for God's people. And He did it by on the third day after He died, walking out of the tomb in bodily resurrection and triumph over sin and darkness and Satan and death once and for all. Amen? Real hope happens when life overwhelms death. Real hope happens when life overwhelms death. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. In 1 Peter 1, 3-9, the Apostle teaches that you 
can have real hope. That you can have a living hope in a world of death because in Jesus, life has overwhelmed death forever. Because Jesus took your sin and gave you His righteousness. Because Jesus took your death and gives you His eternal life. Because Jesus defeated Satan and evil and death forever. Because eternal life and eternal joy are irrevocably yours. Because Jesus' life has invaded your own life through the new birth and the indwelling Spirit of God in the midst of a hopeless world that is perishing and defiled and fading, you have the real hope of the Gospel that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading because it is being kept for you by God's own power. Now this ultimate hope is obviously future-oriented. There will come a day where all our longings will be satisfied when we see Him face to face. When the saying is fulfilled, where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is now thy sting? Because our bodies will rise out of the grave and be made new and we will live forever in the greatest joy that goes beyond what we could ever imagine with our Lord. Our hope is future-oriented, but it is meant. And it must invade right now. Life must overwhelm death through disciples of Jesus who spread this living hope to those who are now hopeless and helpless under the power of death. So what does real hope look like in the life of a disciple of Jesus? What does real hope look like in the life of a disciple of Jesus? Very simply, real hope looks like new life. Real hope looks like new life. Peter says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, if I say the name John Wesley, many of you will know uh, that he was a famous preacher, a, a famous evangelist. He started a movement that eventually became what we know as Wesleyanism or Methodism. He had an enormous impact on the world. But he spent much of his young life hopeless and desperately trying in his life to manufacture real hope. See, he didn't do it through rebellion. Wesley did it because he believed he was a Christian and tried very, very hard to be good, thinking that that is how he would receive acceptance from God. Wesley tried to manufacture real hope by making himself busy every day from very early in the morning to very late at night with many good and religious things. Fasting, praying, reading the Bible publicly and privately, denying himself, preaching, witnessing, serving the sick and the poor, selflessly pursuing prestigious and rigorous theological education. He even crossed the Atlantic Ocean from his home in England and went to Savannah, Georgia to proclaim Christ among the Native Americans there. All this activity. But we know from his journals, there was no joy in his heart, There was no peace in his mind. There was no real hope in his soul. 
after his missionary journey in Savannah, feeling like it was an abject failure, as he begins to make the journey back home, he writes in his journal, I went to America to convert Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Who will deliver me from this heart of unbelief? I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well and believe myself when no danger is near. But let death look me in the face and my spirit is troubled. Nor can I say, to die is gain. And one evening, at the end of his spiritual rope and beginning to realize that there was no way no matter how much he did, that he was ever going to be able to manufacture real hope in his life. Wesley reluctantly decided to attend a a study uh, with some of his friends at Aldersgate. And he goes to the study, and during the study, someone stands up and they begin to read the preface to Martin Luther's epistle to the Romans. They weren't reading scripture. They weren't even reading commentary about scripture. They were reading commentary about commentary about scripture. But God invaded John Wesley's life. About 845, Wesley wrote, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ. Christ alone for my salvation. And assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from sin and death. And all of us who are in Christ by faith have been born again. Yes, we were born the first time into a world of death, physically alive, but spiritually dead. We were oriented away from God and toward evil. Though for some of us, our orientation toward evil didn't look like rebellion, it looked like self-righteousness like it did for Wesley. And in our spiritual deadness, we were helpless and hopeless without God in the world. But God... And His mercy caused us to be made alive. To be born again as the Holy Spirit removed our dead stone hearts and gave us living, responsive hearts with which we believed and received salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation with God, adoption into His family and eternal life. Real hope and new life. And John Wesley experienced that new birth to a living hope and the newness of life that followed, God used to create a movement of real hope in England that eventually spread throughout the world. And I'm praying, even as I speak this morning, and some of you who have believed that you are following the Lord because of all the good things that you are striving to do, even now, would feel your hearts strangely warmed. And that new life would break forth in you. And that you would find real hope in the good news about Jesus. Real hope looks like new life that is characterized by four things. Really briefly, in this text, we see four things that characterize the new life. The first is, new life is characterized by a new kind of endurance. New life is 
characterized by a new kind of endurance, Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who have been born again to new life in a world of death are able to endure trials. Even grievous trials with real hope that makes us different from a world that is hopeless. And as a pastor, I have the privilege of a front row seat. And I get to watch and be with believers who have real hope in the midst of great distress. Most recently for me, that has looked like sitting with Paula Boone in the loss of her son. It's been sitting with Garth and Barb Radley as Garth fought a losing battle against cancer with endurance and real hope. If you were able to come to his funeral, you know that Garth had real hope and that the funeral was a testimony to the real hope that we believe that Garth is not dead, that he is more alive than he has ever been because of the real hope that he has in Jesus Christ. His faith has been made sight. Looks like sitting with Jet and Anna Norris in the hospital as their brand new baby Miriam fought some difficult challenges in the neonatal intensive care unit. And hearing their hope in Christ as they endured helplessness and waiting. It's meant speaking with a single mom in our congregation as she and her children have been abandoned by her husband and their father, yet seeing them sustain and enduring, even thriving through real hope. God never promises us that we will not experience darkness and difficulty in this life. In fact, Jesus promises much the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But in that same teaching, He says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is the real hope of new life in Christ that powers us to a new kind of endurance that makes those who are hopeless wonder how. New life is characterized by a new kind of endurance. And second, a new kind of love. Peter says, though you have not seen Him, speaking of Jesus, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, You love Him. Those of us who have been born again to a living hope, we have a real love for and with Jesus even though we have not seen Him. And that seems crazy to a world that insists that believing is seeing. But there is undeniable evidence of the love relationship that we have with Christ that I think the Apostle John describes very well in his first epistle, chapter 4, verses 19-21. through He says, we love, we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates 
his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Brothers and sisters, the real hope of the gospel is that we are so freely, so unconditionally, so unbreakably loved by God that it frees us to love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and and to allow the love that He has poured out into our lives to overflow to people who don't yet know Him and to people who do, our brothers and sisters. The new kind of life that the real hope of the gospel brings frees us as those freely loved by God to love others in a way that testifies to the real hope that we have in Jesus. And I would just ask, is the love relationship that you have with Jesus, is it evident to the people in your life who don't yet have that relationship? Have you ever been around somebody who has just fallen in love? They're different, right? They have a goofy smile. All they can think about, all they can talk about is the person with whom they have just fallen in love. And to be honest, it's kind of annoying. But we're also jealous. We want what they have. And this is what it looks like for those who have been loved by the Lord Jesus and love Him in return to the world. Yeah, we have a goofy smile. And you want it to. New life is characterized by new kind of endurance, a new kind of love, and thirdly, a new kind of faith. Peter says, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. Those who have a new kind of life in Christ are characterized by their trust in Him. While all the world is trying to manufacture hope by faith in power, we get to say, His power is made perfect in my weakness. So then when I am weak is when I am strong. In a world that is desperately trying to manufacture hope through politics, trying to put the right people in the right positions of power generation after generation to accomplish their vision for what they want their nation to be like, we get to say this, Jesus Christ is Lord. To those who are desperately seeking to manufacture hope, by gathering as much comfort and convenience and possessions and money to themselves. We say two things. One, our treasure is not here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Our treasure is in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal because our treasure is where our heart is and our heart is where Jesus is. And also that we would rejoice to be considered worthy to suffer for His name. While those who place their faith in power or politics or money or comfort will inevitably fail to be comforted by these things, 
the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls will never forsake us. He will never fail us. And He will never forget us. Though we do not now see Him, we believe in Him and we know that we know that we know that we will see Him. A new life brings a new kind of love. A new kind of faith. A new kind of endurance. And lastly... A new kind of joy. Peter says, and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The other night at our supper table, my two-year-old son Isaac began to sing the chorus uh, that we sing here at Back Creek uh, to uh, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. It's very simple, which is why he could sing it. It's, I've got the joy, I've got the joy, I've got the joy, I've got the joy. And I wanted other people to see it. So I tried to capture a video of it and I posted it in various places because though he has a very limited understanding of what he was singing, he was expressing it perfectly. Every part of my son was lighting up with those words. I've got the joy. And I think I grasped just a little bit more of what Jesus meant when He said to His disciples, you must become like a little child. Real hope is a new kind of life that overwhelms death. And so often, that looks like a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, I want to be clear that that does not always look like us being happy, clappy all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle, that we don't suffer, that we don't sorrow, that we don't lament in this world that is still so touched by darkness and death. Now, Hebrews 12 gives us a beautiful picture of what Christian joy looks like through Christ Himself. Hebrews 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before Him that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That it was the joy that He had from the relationship with His Father and with the Spirit that propelled Him with love for us to endure the trials of His life. The greatest trial that any human being has ever endured with real hope because that joy was enough to get Him through. He told His disciples on the night before that cross, on the night before He was going to be rejected by His own people, traded for a criminal and an insurrectionist, beaten, mocked, spit on, executed like a common criminal, suffered the the full weight of God's justice and wrath against our sin. He sat with His disciples in the upper room and He taught them that He came so that His joy might be in them and that their joy might be full. The next few hours were not going to be what we would consider joyful. And yet Jesus had a joy so full and so overflowing that it filled 
His disciples to the degree that the world was turned upside down so that we ourselves are sitting in this room this morning proclaiming real hope through new life and a new kind of joy in Christ. In a world that is addicted to momentary happiness, to briefly get a reprieve from the darkness and death and hopelessness of the world. We who are in Christ have been born again to a real and living hope of eternal joy. How do we as disciples of Jesus cultivate This value of real hope that looks like a new kind of life with a new kind of endurance, a new kind of love, a new kind of faith, a new kind of joy. I just have one point of application for us this morning. And it's simply this. In order to cultivate this life, new life in Christ, having been born again to a living hope, I would encourage you to give yourself to the rhythm that God established at creation and invites you into of weekly setting aside one day for His worship. And that it would be this day, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what God has for you here in the gathering of His people is not an entertaining and compelling message. It's not wonderful and uplifting music, though we may or may not have those things. It's not our our budgets or our slogans, our mission, or even our core values. The Lord God invites you into His presence with His people on a weekly basis to meet you here and to pour out His life into you through His chosen means of grace. Here. He speaks to you through His Word read and His Word preached. Here, He encourages you, invites you, and commands you to speak to Him in prayer and in song. Here, He proclaims to you the remedy for a world of darkness and death and hopelessness and the real hope of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it is that He fills us up with new life, a new kind of endurance, a new kind of love, a new kind of faith, a new kind of joy with which we can go out into the the world and connect people with the hope of the gospel. So if you're someone who has already given yourself to that rhythm, I would ask you this morning to examine yourself and to see if it has simply become rote for you. To see if the reason that you gather with the saints on the Lord's Day is because that's what you do. It is just another activity on your schedule. Yes, sometimes it's uplifting, sometimes it's encouraging, sometimes it's convicting, but it's just something that you do out of habit because it's what God says we should do, and it's because the pattern that you've established in your life. And today, I would invite you to transform your perspective of what this is. It's not about us. It is about God who meets us. And pours out the life of the risen Christ into our lives here so that we might go out there and carry it to a world under the power of death. And if today you are someone who has allowed uh, the, the circumstances or the entertainments or the habits of your life to displace 
the worship and the rest that God invites you to on His day, I'll just tell you that God has an enormous gift to give you in the Lord's day. If you will acknowledge that this is an invitation, it is not, it is not an obligation but an invitation. Yes, it is a command, but the Lord is here for you to meet you and to pour out His life into you. And so make this a new habit, not just a habit to be done as another activity or something rote that you do, but because here it is that God fills you up with real hope and new life to go out into the world and do what He has called you to do. Charles Wesley, the brother of John, who actually experienced a very similar conversion just three days before his brother John, and would go on to write many beautiful hymns, writes a hymn that is one of my favorites, and I think one of the most beautiful expressions that humans have given to the real hope of the gospel. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me, who him to death pursued, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus, and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Brothers and sisters, this is the real hope of the Gospel. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Oh Lord, thank You for the real hope that You bring. Lord, in a world so full of darkness and death, a world that because of sin and evil so often feels hopeless, Lord, I pray that Your real hope would shape us. That it would lead us. That it would guide us. That it would drive us to be a people with new life new kind of endurance, a new kind of love, a new kind of faith, a new kind of joy, Lord, that we would invite others into. Oh Lord, make us a people that connects people with the hope of the Gospel, not for our name's sake, but for Yours. We humbly and expectantly ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who gave us this mission. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word in song.